Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Matthew chapter 22, verses 2 through 14, remain standing until the conclusion of the reading. And it says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage. Everybody say marriage. Marriage. For his son. And he sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. And again, he sent out other servants saying, tell all those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they all made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, one to his painting business. Okay, it didn't say painting business. That was my business I was talking about. He went to his own business and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies and destroyed all those murderers and burned up their city. And he said to his servants, the wedding is ready. Everybody say the wedding. But those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. And this is important to note, this next verse. But when the king came in to see all the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. He did not have on a wedding garment. And so he said to them, friend, how did you come in to this wedding without a garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness, and there will be weeping, and there will be gnashing of teeth. For many are called but few are chosen. Before you take your seats, I want you to look at someone and say, are you chosen? Come on, look at somebody else and say, are you chosen? You may have your seats. All throughout the New Testament... When we read the scriptures, Jesus told these stories that are called parables. Everybody say parables. He often gave these parables simply as a way of giving the listener some type of a mental picture to communicate what he wanted to convey. And he used these parables uh, to simply illustrate uh, themes. And there is... um, And that theme was simply the kingdom of God. Everybody say the kingdom of God. I believe, I'm not sure if Jesus would be involved in Hollywood. Maybe he would be involved with plays if he was literally walking the earth today. But back in those days, they didn't have Netflix, from what I understand. They didn't have Hollywood. They didn't have Instagram. And some of you 20-year-olds are going to not know what I'm talking about when I say MySpace. I mean, there was a, you can tell, you can kind of tell my age there when I mentioned that. They didn't have social 
media. They didn't have movies like that. So one of the reasons why people were so drawn to Jesus is because he was a fantastic storyteller. He loved to tell stories. That's how he engaged the people. And if you look at all these parables throughout the Bible, mainly, well, namely in the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the first three are the synoptic gospels. I'm being a little bit theological with you. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called the synoptics. Say the synoptics. They're very similar. They're like three guys sitting in a room telling the same story from different points of view, sitting at different places in the room. Does that make sense? Rick is going to get a different feel. He may hear me mute my microphone when I'm talking to someone up here and get a chance to hear my conversation, whereas to someone in the back row may not have that same uh, encounter, okay? And so it's just the synoptic gospels are three different men having the same type of encounter from sitting in different places in the room. But John comes in with a completely different angle, but they all record Jesus's parables, his stories. And there are about 55 parables that Jesus gave. Did everybody know that? I learned that just uh, actually this morning, that there were actually 55, so different, different themes, but it all represented the kingdom of God. But one thing that actually stood out to me the most is because although Jesus would give these different parables, different stories that all still likened to the same theme, which would be the kingdom of God, he told the parables about weddings more than most of those other parables. And I thought to myself, Lord, why would you tell parables that comprised or centered around weddings? And I thought maybe it was because of culture, because in those days, still in, in the Middle East, weddings are big. We're, it's not like Americans. We have uh, 20 minutes, and I do weddings. The uh, ceremony is about 20 minutes, and most families clock me, right? They know I'm a preacher. They know I'm a pastor. So they're like, if we can minimize it to about 20 minutes, that would be great. Well, Middle Easterners are not like that. They party for three days, okay? Big weddings, lots of food, lots of celebration. And so I thought to myself, maybe that's why Jesus uh, likened the kingdom of God to a wedding, because it was culturally relative. Say culturally relative. But my problem was, as I began to read uh, many different scriptures where either the Lord, both in and outside of the New Testament, uh, he talks a lot about weddings. And it's related to his relationship with what the body of Christ is called, which is the bride. Everybody say the bride. So he's talking about a wedding. And this, I'm just going to, some of you tough guys who are barrel chested and tough and uh, strong, uh, this type of bridal language uh, may be a little bit different from you. I used to be one of those guys, but I believe that this message is most relative to most of you all. But let me read just a few verses. Can you just bear with me just for a moment? I normally don't meet, re read this much content as it relates to scriptures, but just to kind of give you an idea of how much the Bible talks about weddings. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 9 Verse 15 says this, And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast. He's likening himself to a husband. Say a husband. 
And Joel chapter two, this is the Old Testament, verse 16. He says, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. John chapter three, verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Now he's talking about himself. He's likening himself to a husband. He says, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, does the, the joy of mine is now complete. Luke chapter five, verse 34. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Mark chapter two, Jesus, uh, in verse 19, Jesus said to them, uh, let me skip that one. Let's go, Revelation chapter 19. Let us rejoice and exalt and give glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. Say the marriage of the lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus. Who's the lamb? Jesus. Jesus is the lamb. And his bride has made herself ready. Who's the bride? Look at somebody and say, he's talking about you. She has made herself ready and it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. He's talking about us. And of course, Ephesians, Paul coins this, the, Paul the apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So he's likening himself. Hey, listen, it looks, you are reflecting me when you love your wife well. And he's likening it to a bride and a groom in Revelation 21. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, watch this, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So between, I'm just trying to, I have many, many more scriptures that I could read where Jesus is likening the kingdom of God to a wedding feast. So as I look throughout the four synoptic or the three synoptic gospels and then John, he talks about a lost sheep. He talks about childbearing, a woman in labor. He talks about a farmer sowing seed mustard seed, hidden treasures. He talked about the 10 virgins, which is centered around a wedding. Everybody say a wedding. The wise and the foolish builder. He's talking about the house that was built on sand versus the house that was built on a strong foundation. The good Samaritan, the unforgiving servant, and then many, many more weddings. So, so, so Jesus's underlying theme or most dominant parable is centered around a wedding. Now, why is that? And you know what I'm seeing today more and more? I'm seeing this clarion call to, and this emerging intimacy with God like I have never seen before. I'm seeing in people, and I'm seeing it in a lot of your young faces, that Sunday's best is no longer going to do. Can I say that one more time? I said Sunday's best is no longer going to do. And there's something in every believer. Can I tell you that God has put something in every one of you? And I want you to look at someone right now and say, he's talking about you. God has put divinely in each and every one of us this insatiable hunger and desire for something more than what we're currently experiencing. And I don't know about you, but I am in a place in my life where fog lights are no longer going to cut it. 30-minute announcements are no longer going to cut it. And I think if it's no longer going to cut it, we're going to have to start listening to this knower on the inside of us. Look at somebody and say, you have a knower. This knower that you know there's something more and something deeper that God has called us to. 
we need to come to a place that Paul came to where he said, we need a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and with power. And if you're going to see power, you have to have intimacy. If we're going to feel God's presence in this place when we walk in the building, we are going to have, this, have to have this emerging intimacy for God, a longing for God, a desire for God. Come on, am I preaching to the right people this morning? That is going to pay whatever price of looking foolish, of lingering in his presence. Come on, longer than three songs. I said longer than three songs. Because even a woman who's married in this place, her husband. Oh, Lord Jesus, should I say that? We got some listening little ears in this place. It takes more than just a minute to entertain his presence. And some of you wives know exactly what I'm talking about. God is no longer wanting a company of people that are going to simply bring a drive-by worship experience on Sunday morning. But he's, he's looking. The Bible says this. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the earth looking for hearts this morning. And he's looking for hearts. What? That love religion? He's looking for hearts that are completely his. And you might be saying, I'm done with religion. Can I tell you that? I came to that place full circle three years ago after 17 years of walking with the Lord. So do you know that person who's in this place who says, I'm done with church? Can I tell you what Jesus is saying? The same thing. He's done with church too. He wants to see this emerging intimacy this longing for him to rise up in the people of God. And I think then and only then will we see the true church be birthed into what he's designed it to be. Can somebody say amen to that? And can I tell you this? The only way that we're going to survive these weird days in our government that we're seeing is intimacy with Jesus. This is, this is hard for some of you men. This was very difficult for me. Intimacy, I, if I can placate on those words, into me, you see. Everybody has a great desire to be known and to be loved. If you have a spouse, look at them and say, I know you have a desire to be known and loved. And many of you can't even look in each other's eyes because it's, it's difficult you could do that for about three years, but after a few years, it starts getting a little bit more difficult. But can I tell you that? There are dozens of people in this room who feel the same thing during a worship experience. They can sing the song, but have trouble engaging. Am I speaking anybody's bridal language this morning? For many years, I sat with hands lifted high, but my heart wasn't bowed low. Many times singing the songs and rehearsing the songs, but it didn't get, oh, thank you, Lord, for that scripture. There's a scripture when the, Jesus was talking to the religious leaders in the New Testament, and you know what he said? He said, you praise me with your mouth, but your heart 
is far from me. He's searching this morning for hearts that are completely his. So he understands that. I told a person the other day who's totally done with church. I said, can I tell you, I am done with the church too. Even on Sunday morning, I'm still wiping off some of that stuff that I have learned. You can learn to preach. You can learn to play the game lifting your hands. We can fool our neighbor who's next to us by shakaka and rababa, but we cannot fool the Holy Spirit because he looks on the inward place of the heart. So I said all that to say, is everybody okay? Are you mad? Look at somebody and say, he loves you. I said all that to say, we're living in a day and time where dating time is over. Dating is over. I want you to look at somebody and say, dating is over. Can I just read that scripture one more time? I'm not going to tell you where to go. We've read tons of scripture, put it up on the screen. But it says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his service, servants excuse me, to call all those who were invited to the wedding. Everybody say wedding. And they were not willing to come. Look at somebody and say, are you willing this morning? Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner my oxen and my fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. Look at somebody and say, what are you waiting for? Come to the wedding. But they all made light of it and went to Baskin Robbins after service. They all went their own way, one to his farm, one to his own business. And you know what I thought to myself when I was, when I was reading this and, and I heard this bridal, I'm calling it bridal language. Is that weird? Does that make me sound spiritually weird? It's a bridal language. It means how a husband and wife talk. Okay, I'll, I'll make it a little bit more practical. Don't you ever dare go talk to my wife like I talk to her. There is a certain language I have with my wife. Yes, even when you guys are not here in the sanctuary, there's a different language. I, I hug her differently. I kiss her just a tad bit longer, just a little bit. It's still holy. It's still sanctified, but there's a different, just trying to get you to laugh. You understand there's a different language you have. I, I would never go talk to someone else's wife the way that they, there's a bridal language that's there. And, and any woman who values herself, I'm talking about dating time is over. Say dating is over. Any woman who vows, values herself has a cutoff time in dating. At least you should. There's a cutoff time. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? Some of you are smirking at me. There's, there's a cutoff time. I, I, I think, I mean, it's acceptable to date for one year. Do we still use that word courting? Some of you teenagers are like, don't say that ever again. Courting, courting is, used to be popular. It's where I, you know, I asked my wife's father, if I could date her. Is that even normal anymore? I literally, I asked before I started dating her, is it okay to date your daughter? Yes, I, people laugh at me. I said, yes, you can have ripped jeans and still live holy. You can still be honorable. So, so, so it's okay, it's acceptable to date one year. It's, it's probably okay to date for two years before you figure it out. And if you're in school, right, Mark, maybe it takes a few years to kind of figure out that big question, is she the one if, if, or if he's the one if, if you're a female? But, but after six years, if you don't know, 
Listen, ladies, can I just preach to the ladies for just one? Listen, if you are dating him for more than five years and he still doesn't have it together, run. Run. He's going to be confused forever. Okay? And, and so this, I, I feel like the Lord is saying that right now. And this is why you see such division in the church. And, and I'm not saying by any stretch that God has inspired or caused this pandemic, but it, what it is doing is it's exposing belief systems, okay? Okay, if we could agree on all of that. We may not all agree about, you know, taking the shot or, you know, don't take the shot. We may not even agree uh, on gov governmental points of views, but we, we can say this, that people's faith and trust in God is truly emerging to the surface, does everybody agree with that? And what I see is God is separating, and this was, a, this was a parable as well, where God is separating the wheat from the tares. Everybody hear what I'm saying? The wheat from the tares. Why? Because dating time is over. What do I mean by dating? When I date my wife, I try to do this. I have failed many Fridays as a husband. But 90% of the Fridays... No, I don't want to do a wedding on Friday. I'm being a little funny. I don't want to do any ministerial duties on Friday evening. That is what I do all during the week, and I minister on Sundays. But, but Friday night is date night, okay? Make sure you do date night, okay? And, and, but, but if I always treated my wife the way that I do on date night, our marriage would have an issue. I mean, every woman should be dated, does all the, can all the ladies help me out and just say amen or something? Say something. Every woman wants to be dated. Every woman wants to be wooed. Every woman wants to be told that they're beautiful, that, that they're loved, that they're valued, and that there would be nobody else that could stand beside her. All the ladies say? Amen. Now, if I treated my wife like a date because a date, at least in my belief system and what your Bible says, if you're not married, you should only be dating and not touching no wed, no bed. No ring, nothing. But God is in, a, is in a place, and I believe that this is where America is, is that Friday night Christianity is no longer acceptable. You're either going to marry him or, or not. Come on, is that good? So God is, 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 is separating the wheat from the tares, and you know why? He wants to see who's all in. In other words, his question that he's posing this morning to you is this, and you can be a believer and still just dating the Lord. You have, could have accepted Jesus. You could have got baptized. You could have got baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a whole other theological debate, and you, we could have gone cold. But the question that he's posing this morning is, are you ready to emerge out of this dating relationship, this little Sunday morning experience? that you've been having your whole life, are you ready? Are you ready to go into a deeper realm in your relationship with me? Are you ready to come to the table? Are you ready to have an intimate relationship with him? Are you ready to commune with him? Are you ready to start hearing his voice for yourself and not just his voice through a Sunday morning sermon? Are you ready to get into the prayer closet and not just let the pastor tell you how wonderful his relationship what the Lord is, come on, in his own prayer closet. How many are ready for that type of relationship? Come on, it deserves a better amen than that. 
God is wooing his people in this hour. He's drawing them into an intimate relationship with him. And you might say, well, my life is fairly good. Is depression God's best for your life? Is continuing to try to date people to validate your own life, to feel valued and loved? How's that working for you? Is, is, the, is, is the six-figure income satisfying you the way that you thought it would? Is, is having that position of power finally satisfying that deep longing to feel valued and powerful? None of those things satisfy, but can, when I can I tell you what satisfies? And every good husband understand this. Every man knows this, that when he feels valued by his bride, there's only a few things a man needs, and it's, 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 it's food, it's his wife. <laughs> to know that she's home, you get a home-cooked meal, he, he understands this. He doesn't need much more than that. And what am I trying to say here? Say, preacher, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that intimacy is the key to every problem that you're experiencing today. And that intimacy cannot be found on a Friday night. It can't be found on a Sunday morning experience. It's only found in the chamber room with the bridegroom, Jesus Christ himself. Somebody say amen. Amen, amen simply means I agree. I agree. Look at somebody and say, dating time is over. I was at our men's Bible study last Tuesday. Tuesday was a busy week. We had Tuesday night men's Bible study, men's group. And um, for the first time, we had watched it. Was that last week? Yes, it was last week. Sometimes the weeks blend together. And we were watching this. It's called God's Generals. It's a historian um, who dives into the lives of believers who have either passed away recently or the past hundred or so years. He compiled all these books and did all these uh, interviews, like say on Smith Wigglesworth or a lot of people who've lived in days past, Reinhard Bonnke, a lot of great generals in the faith. Does everybody know what the language when I say God's generals? So people who've lived for God and done something great for the God, even outside of the Bible. But so we were looking into their lifestyles, like what made them successful evangelists, teachers, pastors, men of God or women of God, because there are great women of God. Some of my favorite uh, ministers are, are women who have made great impact, Catherine Coleman being one of them. Don't get scared and leave the church now. Does everybody know who Catherine Coleman is? Yeah. And uh, so as we we're studying their lives, there was, there was one thing that separated them from just, I'm talking about people who had True, definite impact. I'll say this from the Azusa Street Revival. I think I may have told you this, is that there are 600 million with an M. It was a room this big, the Azusa Street Revival. It was 1903 to 1906. It went on longer than that, but the height of it, 1903, 1906. 600 million people can trace their roots back to this Pentecostalism. I don't label myself Pentecostal or any of those. I'm, I'm kind of like a Baptocostal like a good little blend of all of that. Like I can sit in a Baptist pew. I can, you know, you know, should have bought a Honda with the Pentecostals. Should have bought a Civic, you know, you know. I can get 
in one accord with them? Yeah, I knew it'd land in just a second. I'd made that one up just now. I, I can get with different denominations I can, I, because I can see all of them have a value to them and all of them have validity in those movements. The problem is, is when we park around a monument that used to be a movement. That's the problem. It's, that's how denominations are created. We park there too long and we come up with methods uh, around a certain movement. But God is a movement. He's constantly moving. He's constantly evolving. He'll never park. He'll never collect dust. Dust, no dust, no light. He's always constantly evolving. And so we're studying these men and women of God. And there was one underlying theme that, that was the contributing factor to their relationship with the Lord. And that was their intimacy with God. Their intimacy. They had this bridegroom language to them. They, they loved God. They loved spending time in his presence. It wasn't just about reading the word, although that's that we should base our life on the word of God in totality, but they spent time with him. They spent time in prayer and, and, and they, they, they weren't out. These guys were never dominated nor, nor, nor uh, come under any scrutiny with drugs, sex, money, position, power, uh, none of those things, popularity, uh, none of those things because they were satisfied in this relationship with God that I'm talking about. These men were intimate lovers of God. And when I look back on, on people who loved God in the Bible, who had great track records, in the times that they did fail and their relationship with God began to wean, it's when they stopped spending time with him. Did you hear what I just said? I'm not gonna go there, but I want you to think, it, think about, think back on King David's life as a little boy. He was a shepherd boy. Say he was a shepherd boy. He took care of his father's sheep. He would play his harp like Tamaki. Tamaki has an electric harp, by the way. I love it. She was here some Wednesday night. Have anybody ever seen an electric harp? It made me think about David. And she really carries that same heart, I believe, the heart of David. And um, David had that kind of a heart for God. He, would, he was on the backside of the desert playing his heart, playing the stringed, in, stringed instruments. He was a lover of God. Say he was a lover of God. And if you look back on his early life, sin had no domination in his life. And, and, and how free you stay in your relationship with God and in life is hinged on how intimate you are with the Lord. Did you hear what I just said? Anytime somebody is struggling in a marriage, anytime somebody is struggling, well, let me just say this. If you're struggling in a marriage, can I tell you your struggle goes far beyond you both not seeing eye to eye with your checkbook? All the married people ought to say amen. And the issues that the young people who are in this place, your issues about certain people not liking your uh, post, or defriending you, it goes a whole lot deeper than that. What it is, that comes, all those things come from sources of rejection. And the depth that people are allowed to wound you is based upon how deep your relationship with the Lord is currently. Did you hear what I just said? That's almost worthy to write down. The depth that people can wound you, a coworker, a friend, Instagram, Facebook, the depth that they can wound you is only hinged, however I said it, I don't know, I said it some kind of fun way, is based on how deep your relationship with the Lord is. If we have shallow, a shallow 
relationship, if we do not have deep intimacy with the Lord, if somebody doesn't tell you you're pretty all the time, it will not matter because your validity comes from him. Um, I, I love when preachers say, I, I'm preaching better than you're shouting. Well, that would be a moment I would say something like that. We have to go deeper, and that's how we're going to survive in the days in which we're living in is intimacy with the Lord. Amen? And listen, the average Christian who doesn't have a deep longing, I hope this message doesn't come off condemning. It's supposed to come off provoking. It's supposed to inspire you to just simply go deeper. But can I tell you this? That the average Christian cannot tell you when the Lord is in the room. I don't say that condemningly. Please hear my heart. But intimacy, true intimacy, brings awareness. You ought to write that down. Intimacy with him brings awareness. I kind of feel like Forrest Gump when I say this. You want to do the impression? All right, I won't do the impression. I'm not a smart man. I'm not a smart man, but I can. I don't have more degrees than a thermometer. I didn't go to college, but I can tell you when he's in the room. Look at somebody and say, I'm not a smart. No, just don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Look at somebody and say, we have to know when he's in the room. And ask somebody, do you know when he's in the room? The Bible over and over again, and, and, and Jesus would repeat this in the Bible. He would say this when he would say something that was very important. And I'm going to say something very important to each and every one of you all. Everybody look at me. When Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That means there's many among us who have ears but there are some sitting in this room, and I at times still have this happen to me. Times when I don't have ears to hear, but my wife does. That's why God gave us wives. There's sometimes when I just miss it. When my wife says, you should have talked to that person. I go back and I talk to him, and the Lord shows up, and it reminds me that I too have to work on my relationship with the Lord. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Look at somebody and say, do you hear him? Do you know when he convicts you? Would you feel his convicting power? Would you feel the Holy Spirit convicting your heart if he was attempting to convict you? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And lastly, Fitted for the hour. That would be my next point. Be fitted for the hour. What in the world does that mean? Remember we were reading where it says, so those servants who went out into highways and gathered together all who, whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But then when the king, say Jesus, Jesus. when the king or Jesus came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. Ask somebody, say, are you fitted for the occasion? 
In, in these last days, look at me. In these last days, I want to ask you this. Things are happening very rapidly, and we can all see that things can change very quickly, almost overnight. Can we all at least agree to that? My question to you is, are you fitted for the occasion? Are you fitted spirit, spiritually speaking in your, as it relates to your relationship with Jesus? I don't care if you're 17. I don't care if you're 67. Are you fitted in these last days, in the times in which we're living in? The Bible says he did not have on a wedding garment. And so he said to them, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? I want to just go back and talk about David a little bit more. Can I do that? Think about it. He started as a shepherd boy. I Googled this morning what a shepherd's garment looked like. It almost looks kind of like a, a dress. Does everybody know what a tunic is? It's, a, it's a, like a large garment. It's kind of long. The, the knee area, it's not like jeans. They're free so they can bend down. They can tend to the sheep, and they're very free so he could, he could work. And so his, his tunic was like a type of robe. And because David, being an intimate worshiper, of God, the Lord elevated him to become a king and to wear priestly garments. So no matter where you're at in your relationship with the Lord right now, you may have on this garment, but as you continue to move forward in your relationship with him, you engage in worship even outside of Sunday morning. Come on, I don't care if you have to download Bethel, Elevation, Worship, whatever it might be, whatever floats your boat, so to speak. Engage in worship with God. And can I tell you what happens over time is that God begins to change your robe of salvation. I'm quoting scripture. He will change your robe. I'm just getting this from the Lord. He will change your robe of salvation into a robe of righteousness. The Bible talks about gowns and robes. And heaven actually identified the Lord. The Lord knows which garment you're wearing right now. And there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But like Paul, not that we've already attained, but one thing we should do, reach forward to those things which are ahead. We should all have a desire to move forward in our relationship with him. This is not, if your parents told you your relationship with the Lord should look like this, that's not kingdom roller coaster. There are no roller coasters in the kingdom. Yes, will you go through tough seasons, but they're supposed to grow your faith, not diminish it. The child of God who responds to challenges, difficulty, hardship, pain, and stays a worshiper and keeps that uh, position in their heart of this, uh, this bridal language, this person will continue to go from glory to glory and from faith to faith. Did you hear what I just said? We move upward. We ascend. Can you just show them the ascension logo? We ascend. We keep going up. And you know why we, not to put a plug in, I'm not putting a plug in with our logo, but the reason I named it Ascension Christian Center is because I lived many years at the bottom of the mountain. God calls us and is calling us, even this morning, upward. And what I found out about climbing, as I told you, I was Southern. I love to climb mountains and go on hikes and such and find springs at the top of mountains and, and swim. There's not a lot of people up there, but there's many people looking around at the base. Now, we have two 
choices, even this morning, is we can stay at the base of the mountain, enjoy the Christian scenery, or we can ascend into the holy hill of the Lord and attain all that he has for us and find out the most beautiful thing that's offered to every believer in this room, and that's an intimate relationship with Jesus that will bring the deepest satisfaction that your heart has ever known in your life, deeper than a spouse can bring, deeper than six figures can bring, deeper than any position, power, prestige, and prominence that the world could ever give you. Do we still believe that? It's possible. Look at somebody and say, that's possible. It's possible. And do you know that's how he got promoted? Do you know that that's how I got promoted in the kingdom? Is by simply being a worshiper. Samuel, the prophet, didn't go to David and ask him where he went to school, if it was Duke or UCF. He didn't ask him any of that. He recognized he was a worshiper. And listen, nothing will stop a worshiper from being elevated by God because that's God's way of earning degrees in the spirit. The level you worship determines the level you walk in spiritually, your connection with God. People promote you based on what they see on paper. God promotes based on what he sees on the inward part of your heart. Did you hear what I said? Amen. I want you to stand to your feet for just a moment. So he didn't get promoted because he was strong, because he was educated. He got elevated because he touched God's heart. And so I pose this last question, and I close. The last question is, as we're talking about all of this bridal language, this wedding feast, I'm sure it's made some of you feel really uncomfortable it, it boils down to this question. Are you ready? I want you to think about the time that you have on your hands, the pursuits that you have. I want you to really think. Are you thinking? Your ambitions, your desires, your busyness. In the midst of all of that, Here's the question. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of a sacrificial life? Is he worthy laying everything down? This, this is what kept the young rich ruler who was rich. He thought he wanted God because he went to church Sunday. But he came running to Jesus, ready to lay it all down until Jesus posed this wise question will you let it all go and, and what he wasn't willing to let go of simply exposed his mani manipulative desires really he was ready to give it up the Bible says he came running and he bowed and he worshipped until Jesus says sell it all and come follow me all of a sudden, he quickly got up off of his knees and brushed them off. I'm, 
I'm willing to do with the other stuff. I'll follow you. If it gives me prestige, if, if it gives me power, I'm willing to go. But if you, let, if you make me let go of all that stuff, I'm not sure I can continue to follow you. I want to ask you all this morning, is he worthy? Is he worthy for you to marry him? It doesn't mean putting a ring on. It's, it's not that kind of a language. It, the language I'm speaking of is, are you willing to give up anything that would interrupt this oneness that he wants with you? You may have come in here with, you know, Lord, give me a word. I need an encouraging word. And I can tell you that this type of a message right here makes every crooked place straight if we get it. Be because my, my, my spiritual father said this to me, is that anytime anyone is having a problem, it's due to unmet needs. Anytime there's a difficulty in a marriage, it's, it's due to unmet needs. And, and all I'm saying is that this type of language, once we get the revelation of the depth of being married to Christ, Christ being married to you, you him becoming one. It's like, the, it's like the bird of the air and the fish who's down here. We're different yet, but there's a cult. It's, it's, Lord, I'm so different than you. I, I want to come up, but, but I can't. But, but Jesus died to separate that veil so that two who are opposite, he who's holy and we're so not holy. He, he died to separate that barrier so that you and him can become one. And this is what satisfies the human heart. Intimacy. Marriage with Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. I just want you to do business with God right now. This is the clarion call in the last hours. Are you fully surrendered? Are you all in? Have you totally surrendered your life, your finances, your, your own marriage, your, your children, your popularity, your desires, your dreams, your calling? Have you surrendered everything to him. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom in all its righteousness and everything else would be added. In other words, seek marriage with the Lamb of God and everything else would be added. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77 977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.